Oh, how to get started. Okay. Welcome back. Um, That's the only one we have moved. Yes. <laughs> I was about to bring us back in. Thank you, JM. More to edit for you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I'm, I'm happy to edit more of that sweet rolling tone. <laughs> Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast. In this show, we talk about our experiences and lessons learned in enterprise architecture and business process management. What's Your Baseline is designed to be for everyone. Newbies who are just getting started with these topics, organizations who want to improve their EA and BPM groups and the value they get from it, as well as practitioners who want to get a different perspective and care about the discipline. Each episode will tackle different key topics, providing context, background, best practices, and stories from the road, inviting you to learn from our challenges and successes, and demonstrating key tools to help you set up your practice and get the most out of it. I'm your host, Roland Wolt, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson. Hey, J.M., how are you doing today? Not too bad, Roland. I'm having a great day. It's a little bit rainy in Toronto where I am, but you know what? That just breaks the heat. It's been a heck of a summer so far, even though it's barely started. How about you? It's feeling all right where you are? Absolutely. Yeah. Just right after Memorial Day, we got the degrees in the 90s, you know, and we were sweating and all that type of stuff. <laughs> but I don't want to complain. It's better than snow, you know, and, that it is. and I heard one of our guests today, he's in Michigan while recording this, and I'm pretty sure he had to dig himself out of eight feet of snow i guess it's been a cold spring this is kevin scully glad, glad to be here and honored to be on your podcast uh jm and roland hey kevin we're more than happy to have you but maybe we do a formal introduction so today's topic jm if you haven't heard so you know it's about time that you learn that we're going to talk about task mining Ooh. we're going to talk about robotics process automation and i couldn't think of better guests for this show than our friends Kevin and Ziff from Cryon. So Kevin, Ziff, welcome to the show. Hooray! Great to be here. <laughs> We're excited. I, you know, sort of for, for the secret to our audience, we've worked with these folks over, over the, you know, here and there over the past little while watching their technology do some amazing things and build some really cool solutions for customers. And we thought, you know, this is a, a perfect opportunity for us to explore this topic underneath the layer of process mining. We get this question all the time when we're talking about process mining. What if what I'm doing isn't in a transaction? And what if I want to make a change to my stars? And I think you'll, you'll hear today, task mining and RPA make a pretty immediate impact to how your business is discovered and how your business is run. But before we get to that, gentlemen, I'd love to get a little introduction. Jim, do you need a job, by the way? You're welcome <laughs> to join Cryon, which is not Nintex, but... Yes, yeah, so well, welcome to the new Nintex family. How, how has it been transitioning over to your new overlords? <laughs> uh, great. They're a, a fantastic company, well run. You know, the key thing is it gives us a, a quarter billion dollars in revenue and a lot more uh, R&D dollars to enhance the product. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, before we get to the product itself, I'd love to get some introductions from you for our listeners who don't know you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's start with Kevin. Sure. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Kevin. Uh, goodness, I've been in the high tech world for 40 years. Interestingly enough, I got my start in manufacturing automation. So Ooh. programming robots on the manufacturing floor. So you kind of fast forward 40 years and that's what really enticed me to come to Cryon because now mm. they're, or we are doing the same thing to the front office, what manufacturing has been doing for 40 to 50 years. So yeah. in between those 30 years I did spend with uh, software companies uh, helping 
really business optimized processes. So I've always focused on process excellence. And that's uh, me in a nutshell. Perfect. And and Ziff, maybe maybe we hand it over to you if you could give us the little rundown. Thanks, guys. Yes, yeah, so I've joined, I would say, the enterprise world about 10 years ago, so a little fresher, but um, uh, all in all, came from a military background a little bit before and transitioned into technology and working in the last three years more extensively in processes alongside guys like you, but uh, with many different types of companies in all these different sectors. So happy to be here. Well, that means we have a shared background, if you will. You know, I spent 11 Ooh. years in the German armed forces, so, uh, but we don't want to uh, go astray on this Keep podcast. That might be something. Podcast, yeah, yeah or, or over a glass of beer. <laughs> and so, and Kevin and I share, Kevin, I'm a manufacturing engineer. So ah. I built those automated manufacturing lines you're talking about prior to my life in management consulting and eventually working uh, in, in you know, process and, and process yeah. excellence. Fascinating. So I think we, we have um, our own, our, our own was, favorites uh, here. I was a mechanical engineer, <laughs> but kind of drifted towards the manufacturing side. So oh, wonderful. Before we get into those, those uh, nitty gritty topics of our podcast that our listeners want us to, we also want to know a little bit more about you. So, for example, what are your bucket list items? What do you do outside for work? Work. You know, what's your personal side of, of the things? And maybe Ziff, I, I start with you this time. Yes, thank you. Yeah, it's quite a big bucket list, but uh, having three <laughs> little boys in the house, it's kind of uh, postponing <laughs> some of the bucket list. But in between, <laughs> like to sport much, just finished uh, in the weekend. Uh, we had a nice 10K run in Paris. Um, With lovely weather, Ooh. always welcome everyone to join. But apart from that, you know, family travel, you know, the regular stuff. So mm, great, yeah, I can, I can tell you, my two boys are out of the house. You know, emptiness at time is awesome, and I think Kevin can can relate to this. <laughs> can you? you a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little children exchange, and can Kevin tell us a little bit about your bucket list? What, what's what do you got on your uh, things you love and you'd love yeah, to do? Yeah, my passions are uh, a golf. I golf a lot. Uh, Uh, play ice hockey still a little bit. I did play in college, play tennis, and I love traveling uh, the globe with my wife. As a matter of fact, this, this summer we're going to Spain for three weeks. Um, and then next year we're already planning Italy. So nice. Keep, wow. uh, nice. keep fresh grass under the feet. JM, I see a pattern evolving. Nobody wants to go to the fatherland, you know. The, the weather doesn't seem to be, to be too good on the north side of the Alps. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a conversation about that earlier, how you're like, well, it seems like Germany's not a tourist destination, but look at all these beautiful things. And every time I look at Google Street View, I'm like, where in the world am I? This is unbelievable. These are like beautiful mounds and rolling hills. And, and, and I'm like, Why is that not marketed better? We got to get on it. Germany, we're, we can do a what's your, uh, what's your, I don't know, German word for baseline a podcast for you. <laughs> give you, give you all the, all the tourism tips. But today we're going to be talking about something more specific to our industry. So thank you for those great questions. And it's, it, once again, it sort of highlighted it in the, in the intro here, but that's going to be RPA and task mining. And I, I wanted to start the conversation by just defining terms because we, we use acronyms all that, all the time and those need to be explained out for everyone just to be on the same the same level so tell me just to find for me task finding 
and a robotic process automation. What are those things at a high level? Now let's see if uh, he's the expert. So I'll take it. Um, yeah, so I'll start with robotic process automation. I think it's more, um, it's quite mature in the market for more than five years already. And the idea is to have robots, machine robots, virtual robots, so computer-based, to replace humans on the most uh, repetitive tasks. So if someone is doing, for example, uh, a process over and over again, why not having a, a robot to do it for uh, or instead of the mm-hmm. human? And then humans can focus on the more productive tasks. Um, and that's in essence, it's involved, evolved over time to a lot of different areas. Um, but the idea is to make sure that robots can take over uh, and human can focus on uh, the most essential stuff. And uh, Kevin, if I missed anything, you can... No, I mean, I I always try to simplify things. I mean, to me, RPA is just a software program Mm -hmm. that automates what front office workers do that are very repetitive and high volume. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Mm -hmm. of course, RPA is getting more intelligent over time with some machine learning and AI embedded. So, you know, over time, it's going to do more. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's very interesting. But uh, obviously, Kevin and Ziff, um, the question is, how does that actually work? You know, how do we get the technology in place? And and uh, obviously, that might be different between RPA and, and RPD, so it's the robotics process discovery. And maybe you can enlighten us a little bit how that works. Yeah, so I think when, when RPA became more uh, available in the market, one of the biggest challenges companies met is, is scaling it. Mm-hmm. And it all starts with identifying which processes we actually want to automate. Uh, Kevin talked about the software. Software needs to run processes or automate processes. And the idea is how to help companies discover which processes they can automate and use data to de- decide which processes are actually worth automating mm-hmm. because eventually everything costs money. So so we brought to the market uh, RPD about just over three years ago, um, what you can also call as task mining, mm-hmm. uh, as a way for companies to identify which processes their employees are doing, and based on this collective uh, collected data to prioritize the relevant uh, processes to automation and make sure they uh, only qualify them qualify them based on real data and not based on intuition or, you know, some stakeholders wanting to, to automate their best friend's process, pretty much. So, so how does it work in all reality? Um, what do you deploy? What does, the, I assume things get recorded or you're taking data from, from things that you see? How does it work in, in all reality? In, in essence, it's, it's, it's like what you mentioned, yes. Yeah. So we start with um, what I mentioned is, is talking about employees. We deploy client software to the employees and computers. Mm-hmm. And we make sure we collect only the business application because today, especially during co- uh, Corona, people are using their um, their computers, their personal computer for hybrid reasons, whether it's for work or for private tasks. And we want to make sure that we only capture um, business application and automate just the business processes. Of course, we don't care about the noise uh, around it. So we capture, we capture screenshots and metadata with these activities. Mm-hmm. And once we send it all to the server, we uh, utilize machine learning and AI to clean all the noise and actually identify which processes um, that the users are uh, executing. And by identifying these processes over a team, over a period of time, the managers, the business analysts, the operations leads can actually understand 
what processes are being executed and decide what to do with them, okay, whether they automate them. So what is the outcome of this phase? Do people get process models? Do they get a bunch of screenshots? Or what's the, the tangible thing that, that your clients get after they've deployed the little bots after you've done your processing on the server? I think it's it's all of all of the above because we want to have access to the images because we want to see what the process is how the process is done step by step okay in which button which application the users are using mm -hmm. we want to have it aggregated we want to have um, an SOP or like a, a blueprint of the process so we can take a process map and bring it to process mining for example or to mm -hmm. your BPM solution so I think task mining touches a lot of different applications using this type of artifacts um, and in that sense it makes a lot more impact than just collecting the images so the the, the secret is about taking these images and make it a more relevant output for all these different uh, type of users type of applications uh, to bring the most of, of, of the data away just clean it I would say so I'll jump in with Razeev too. I mean, the two key reasons customers invest in process discovery or task mining. One is because they want to get, they want to identify processes to automate. Mm -hmm. and, and that's probably the, the biggest trend historically. What we're seeing happening more now is that companies, for a lot of different reasons, you know, they, initially it was COVID and now it's just, you know, the market's uh, declining and, and every company is looking at how do we, How do, we, how do we manage our business better? Mm -hmm. How yeah. do we manage our processes better? You know, which includes process mining and task mining. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. You, you think about this market, you know, and I am an old school guy. I mean, you know, Taylor Time Studies, which started in the early 1900s in manufacturing, the great Frederick Taylor, uh, you know, they've been applying these same principles to the manufacturing floor for over a hundred years with that we're now looking at doing to the front office. Mm -hmm. And it's really remarkable. You think about a process discovery gives you that insight into the, into the, into to us as white collar workers and what we're doing on a minute by minute basis. What are the tasks we're accomplishing and, and how do you use a, a How can a bot help all of us be more efficient and more effective, both from a data quality standpoint and a productivity standpoint? So those are the kind of high level reasons why businesses are investing. Yeah, I think that's really important to recognize is that, you know, everyone in the in a lot of folks I talk to, at least, are quite scared about the idea of, of task mining. They're scared about Big Brother looking over their shoulder. They're scared about a mm -hmm. lot of like visibility into what's happening. You have to remember that this is a practice that has been done before in an analog fashion for a very long time. The only difference is that this requires less human effort. It is a less overt observation and that this allows them to capture steps where they don't necessarily fully understand what you are doing because you can business contextualize it after the fact. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I think that's the most important part. You know, you you have an objective view of the process. It's not the SME in a conference room on a big piece of butcher paper drawing out processes and all that type of stuff and telling you what he or she wants to tell you. But Kevin, maybe a question for you from a from a business perspective. If you get started with a task mining uh Project. So what kind of stakeholders do you typically see being involved? Who do you have to convince to 
to say yes to this type of activity that you just described? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's, of course, there's no simple answer because that would make our jobs way too easy. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of times it's, it's a leader. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's someone who's, 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 who's leading change and that change agent could be an architect in a company or it could be a CIO, you know, an interesting side point, one of, uh, a large utility company in the Midwest and invested in crime process discovery last year. You know, when I was asking them, so, you know, how is it working out? You know, are you, um, are the benefits that dr- drove it, which is reduced, op- is it, was it really reducing operating costs? Was it helping with staff augmentation? Cause they live in a, or are headquartered in a remote area in Louisiana. It's hard to find good people. Mm-hmm. He said the number one benefit that they're getting it's bringing together their siloed departments yeah. to work together because, you know, when you look at processes, when you change something in finance, it could impact, uh, you know, asset management, you change something in HR, it, it impacts other areas. So it's bringing the, which I'd never thought about that, how it, it's actually helping promote an, an integrated culture. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. But that also brings us to, to the point that I hear in all whatever podcasts that I listen to uh, that are presumably very, very technical. It all goes back to the people, right? Because we're, we're, it's a people business, right? And, and the technology is just helping so much. Mm-hmm. But maybe, Ziv, if I can ask you this, the same question or a similar question, if you can build upon. So Kevin spoke about the business stakeholders. When you start a project, what are the, the other stakeholders that most likely you and your role as the, the lead of professional services at Cryon um, work with? I think it's uh, today especially it's quite a hybrid uh, approach because uh, technology in the business is the enabler today, at least for the task mining, process mining type of uh, solutions. And because process discovery is very easy to deploy and easy to use, we, we try to make sure IT, you know, architects, infrastructure people um, and mm-hmm. are, are understanding the value of it, understanding why we're doing what we're doing. And they're not blocking the process because if they are aligned with the approach, aligned with the goals, then the execution, the deployment, the implementation can be much more efficient. And this goes to, again, to the CIO office, to the technology, to the innovation, depends on which uh, type and size of organization we're talking about. But there's very uh, clear alignment between this group of people, I would say, to the CIOs, to the operations group, to the... Um, and, and it's either using a COE type of um, uh, organization, the more matured um, mm-hmm. uh, automation or organizations or uh, just by, you know, talking with the people and bringing them to the same table. I think this is where we focus at the beginning and we clean all this um, open question just to make sure that we are all aligned and we are uh, speaking the same language. Yeah, that makes sense. But but I was wondering, once you obviously sold it to a client and they like what they heard and you showed them success stories and all that type of things, uh, if you have a project kickoff, how long does it take until you actually see something? What is the, the typical uh, process of a project, if you will? With process discovery, it's very, it's very, very, very short. You'll be surprised, especially now with the cloud-first approach with, with some that some enterprises are going for. Um, you can deploy the solution in a matter of days and, and 
see already value after two weeks. Oh. So from the day you started to the day you finish your first project. And, and we try to implement uh, in an agile way that it's eventually you keep deploying these robots over and over again to different users. So you cover more and more uh, parts of the business. But it's so, um, uh, just from a skill set, you know, the business analysts can use it. They don't need to go through all, uh, intense training. matter of uh, one or two hours, they can already see value and, and look at the visibility that uh, Kevin was talked about before. So I think this is one of the uh, the main differentiators when, when we come to clients that uh, you know, want to use this technology. Adding to what Zeev just mentioned, uh, the long pole in the tent is the security group. Because we do, or all task mining tools do load a small executable on the client desktop. The one thing that's unique about crying, it runs in the background. Just, you know, there's no need to stop and start a process. It just runs in the background. But, you know, it usually takes a couple of weeks for the security group to bless it, which mm-hmm. always happens. And we work with, you know, Fortune 50 companies. Um, uh, so I just add that to... Uh, the process, but the results happen literally within within two weeks once it's up and running, and uh, companies can start realizing benefits. So it's it's pretty powerful. We do see the same thing when we do process mining projects. You know, it's mm-hmm. the same questionnaire that we get that you get, and and we've worked together in the past, so we we know each other. Yeah, and I wanted to ask one more thing about the kind of people who need to be involved because I've worked obviously with task mining a lot and. It's kind of to prompt you and remind our, our audience that we do need business stakeholders who know what the process is supposed to be. Like one of the one of the challenges with a lot of task mining, and at least from what I've seen, is contextualizing it in the way in which your business operates. How much are you interacting with those people? When do you bring them in? And what kind of information are you trying to extract from them? I think in the more mature organization, it's very easy to start with the robotics team, with the automation team, because they already know their problems. We don't need to teach them about their problems. They know how much time it takes to discover the processes in an analog way, to write the process description, to understand what the exact step-by-step, to understand what the variants, and then that the solution just sells itself. But with new organizations, um, we try to, to be with the ones that actually suffer the pain, the ones that go and interview uh, or used to manually interview this uh, group of people, group of users, bring them into a conference room or go over Zoom week by week and try to understand what the process is about, or maybe try to already automate a process that was just broken and just took them much more than they expected because they didn't have visibility into the way the process is actually being executed. So I think these are the people, the stakeholders we try to bring in first. And from then, the solution just sells itself within the organizations. You'll see more and more different use cases coming and and in a very interactive way, of course. Yeah, before we get to the end of this segment, I I obviously want to close out this type of conversation. Kevin, uh, what additional information do you need on top of this? Um, to have a successful RPD project? I mean, obviously, you want to know the business driver. What is the use case that's driving this project? Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, it's not, I mean, you know, as you mentioned earlier, identifying automation candidates is a, is a very popular one. But we've had, you know, uh, another organization, um, and typically the group that really focuses on process discovery from an implementation and uh, evaluation standpoint is the, are the business analysts mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. work with the functional group. So you get that benefit of, they know 
some, you know, this analyst works with finance, this other one works with HR, this other one, another one works with customer service. So that's kind of our, our the key group we focus on. Um, but the use cases can vary. We have one, and Ziva is very familiar with it, um, BP, that they were looking at insourcing hundreds of jobs from a large um, uh, outsourcing company. And they needed to do it in three months because the executive management says, we're cutting this contract, we're spending way too much. Uh, and they said, geez, how are we going to capture everything that these individuals are doing so that we can have a history of that? Yeah. So that, that was a use case. Mm-hmm. And, and they invested in process discovery. It was very successful. So, you know, it's basically, I guess, uh, the net net there is understanding what is the business driver, you know, whose who's, who's neck is uh, on the line and saying, this is going to, I'm going to make sure this is successful and working with them. So it's, which is really just business 101. Yeah. It, it sounds like to me that there's, you're saying that these projects are for the purpose of acceleration. Like these are kinds of things that theoretically, if you had a lot more manpower, if you wanted to burn a lot more cash, you could do these things all without RPA and without RPD discovering it, you could run time and motion studies. This is just a massive accelerator to that effort. It closes the gap on projects you don't think you're going to be able to make, meet. It makes you to be able to execute at scale where you don't think you have the workforce to do that. That's an incredible value. And it's something that I think people can take forward from this conversation. The one thing I would add to that, JM, before we leave this segment is the one piece that you can't get by just throwing more people at is data quality. And automation gives you data quality uh, and that's that's a huge driver in organizations that we actually haven't touched on yet. Oh, yeah. Quality, integrity, velocity, yeah, all the data types uh, are coming into realization when you yeah, use this type of solution. I want to pose a question to our audience here as we close out our first segment. I mean, think about the visibility you have into your processes and the manual effort that you go through to achieve them. Uh, where are you gaining insight? into your activities and the performance of those activities, where have you succeeded or struggled in, in, in figured out how, how it's happening and how you can build better towards automation and executing at scale. We'll leave you for a couple seconds and come back with our second segment, the how. Welcome back to our second segment of the show. As you know, in our first segment, we always ask the why questions. And in the second segment, we're having a look at the how. So in this case, and maybe I, we start with Ziff uh, here first is, well, obviously, how do RPA and RPD projects actually work? You know, what's unique about those projects and, and what are the steps that you walk through a client and, and what you do? Yeah, so I'll start with RPA because I think it's a little bit more straightforward. And the idea is, of course, once you identify a process, you know you want to automate it, 
you write a solution design or you understand you want to understand how you want to automate whether you use um, you know visual way to integrate with your uh, applications whether you use apis whether you use uh, some other form of connectors and then it's about developing testing and deploying so I think if you compare it to other type of software development uh, it's a little bit more straightforward more simple because it was designed for for the business user type of uh, developers and not to professional developers um, hmm. and depends on the complexity of the process you can uh, bring a, a process to production in a matter of days for the more complex of course weeks and 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 longer and just a side note here you can also integrate other type of solutions if we talk about OCR if we talk about intelligent document uh, processing or uh, workflow um, solutions web services I think RPA in a way is a very classic orchestrator that can communicate with all these other type of solutions that can already be available in your enterprise or in your company but you mm. haven't had any way to utilize them smartly and efficiently before and um, so that's about RPA and this would mean that you have to have less in-house skills of coding to get to the same level of automation that would typically be deployed with that skill set uh, that's that sounds awesome and RPD, what what are you doing with an RPD project? How are you, from a discovery perspective, getting in there? How long do you normally take to do like a proof of concept or a proof out of value? And then what do you do to take from a proof of concept into an implementation? Yeah, so from an, an RPD perspective, we usually take between one one week to two weeks. So we, we call it a sprint oh. of discovery. Once you have the robots already recording the user's machines, of course, after validating which applications we want to capture, um, we record between three to five days and then um, the algorithm runs in real time to already start discovering the processes and give a sandbox to the business analyst to start looking to the uh, the outputs and once they validate which outputs are relevant for um, you know whether it's automation or uh, any other thing they want to do with it um, they can take uh, take it to their process library use the process map maybe to export it to their BPM solution or the process uh, doc uh, definition document like a word document they can share mm -hmm. with their colleagues uh, so there's a lot of artifacts that it can bring which can make the if we take it to RPA make the implementation faster and reduce a lot of the unknowns or a lot of the eliminate a lot of the open questions in in the process Mm -hmm. Actually, I, I want to ask specifically about that and uh, for both you and, and, and for Kevin, when we connect these two parts of, I would say, kind of a very similar technology style together, first and foremost, how does that technical connection work? What does that accelerate in terms of project development? And secondly, what sort of value cases are you seeing from this RPD, this discovery, turning into RPA for your customers? Yeah, so maybe I'll start with the first half and I'll let Kevin answer the second part. Um, the, the connection, it's, it's what we call full cycle automation. And the idea is to have an end-to-end -end platform that takes you from the discovery all the way to the automation. And for that, what mm. we do is, is once you uh, validated the process within the process discovery component of it, you can take a file that takes all the images and all the actions that the user was doing with every uh, along, alongside all the steps and bring it directly into the, the studio, what we call the developer platform. So I, I would say it already puts you halfway in uh, for the developers. They know the baseline of the process. They know which applications. They know which part of the screen or which part of the application the user inter interacted with. And then 
it makes the uh, the development time also much more efficient okay so i think mm-hmm. if you look at it from from both a cost and benefit of course you want to get the process as soon as you can to production yeah, like it, it puts you halfway in. That's a great phrase. And, and Kevin, I'm assuming that that leads to a lot of customer value when you bring the whole, what do you call it, the end-to-end automation cycle into play? Absolutely. I mean, uh, we see most of our customers today starting out with process discovery and then adding on the RPA component. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's one customer, it's a tool manufacturer that during the busy season had to ramp up to 200 uh, order entry people, 200 people in their customer service for order entry. Mm-hmm. And and they had lots of errors uh, and they wanted to automate that process and they leveraged Cryon. They reduced uh, to 50 people in that busy season and improved the quality mm-hmm. from, from, I think they were getting 10% errors and now it's under what, 2%. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. So now I think that comes to the point, JM, when, when you and I spoke about in our last episode about business cases, you know, what yeah. is the, the quantifiable and, and non-quantifiable benefit of, of an initiative? And many, many times people just forget about it because they're all excited about the technology and they got some new toys to play with, <laughs> which is, which is always not a good reason to start a project and spend money on. Um, but, but speaking of this and Kevin, maybe the first question goes to you. What are typical common questions that you see? And, and we listed a couple of those on our little cheat sheet that we use as our outline for uh, our show here. And, and the first one that I see here as well, if you go with task mining, are you stealing my personal information? You know, will my social security number now show up on the dark web and and I will get washers being sent to my home without me even signing up for those? <laughs> so the simple answer, the business answer is absolutely not. Uh, we definitely whitelist or that. But if from a technical standpoint, Steve can give you a much better uh, answer of how we protect the user's data. Yeah, interesting. Ziff, enlighten us. Yeah, so of course with all the you know GDPR and other uh, compliance regulatory frameworks we um, that we built or designed process discovery alongside, we want to make sure that users feel comfortable being recorded. They understand why their companies are doing it and what's the the end goal. But from a technical perspective, we we anonymize the the users' information. We Automatically masking, if we talked about ML, uh, identify using ML AI to identify the sensitive information in the screen and mask it. So in any type of output, all the sensitive data will be um, masked away. And the whole idea eventually is to um, make sure that they can get the value out of what we collect without compromising anyone's privacy. And of course, the companies Mm -hmm. own the data. We don't have any access to it. So... That's, I think, the most important thing. Speaking of companies owning the data, I mean, I'm going to have to ask this question. I know people ask me about this question. Do users necessarily know that you have installed an RPD bot on their computer and you're watching their every move? Is it required? Can you do it silently? Is this something they should be fearing that my company has suddenly installed something on my laptop that monitors all my clicks? 
So the whole idea is to make it um, as, as much proactively um, transfer, uh, transparent, I would say, to the employees. So they have this icon at the bottom, and we usually uh, work with um, our different clients to you know, send um, a video or explanation what this is about, what we capture through accessing this application. They can see actually which applications are being captured, what times were captured, so get visibility into this so they know that no one captures them, um, I would say, uh, in a um, silent way or in a way that no one will, um, you know, just one day they'll get, you know, their uh, resignation or their let go mm-hmm. notice yeah. based on that. So <laughs> we make sure it's all very yeah. open and transparent because we, we don't want to lose traction uh, with the employees. Yeah. Which brings, obviously, the, the logical question after that when you're talking about people handing in resignations. Do we all get replaced by robots at some point in time, Kevin? <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's going to create new jobs. Um, I really envision a future where all of us will have a bot on our desktop mm-hmm. and we'll be making recommendations. It'll be so much more efficient than they are today. But we're looking at, you know, five years down the road that we'll say, hey, you know, I noticed that you're trying to make a you're trying to coordinate a, a trip to California and you've looked at all these airlines. I can do that for you if you'd like. And, you know, you just confirm the airport you want to go to and the time frame and, and a bottle search all the airlines for you. I'm happy that you said that Microsoft Office Clippy doesn't come back. Um, so that's <laughs> for the old people on the show. That's obviously a good thing. But um, maybe in all in all seriousness, Ziff, the, the question that I would have is when you do these type of things, how do robots actually make decisions? Or if I want to say it more dramatically, how do they decide my fate? You know? Yeah. I, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to jump in just from a... Uh, it's unfortunately, I, I don't like the term robots. Uh, and I think RPA is just a bad, it's a, it, it, it's a very fluff term. Mm-hmm. And you talk to an executive that we're going to put robots on your desktop. They're like, what? Uh, and it really <laughs> is just a software algorithm. It's just a software program. Like you may have Java or Python or C sharp programs. You know, right now, every manufacturer has their own version of, uh, of a language. Um, it's just a software application on your desktop, which oh. we all have on our desktop. Mm-hmm. So we need to. That's not so scary. Yeah, it, we need to simplify it. And, and the same scare happened in the industrial world. I mean, literally, the unions were petrified of manufacturing automation and industrial robots on the manufacturing floor, and and they had people sabotage the robots. You know, and I don't mm. think we're going to see that yeah. in in our white collar world. But you know, there are. There are people who will not be happy with having a a, uh, a bot on their desktop recording what they're doing. But actually, can I bring up an interesting point here? Because people are already comfortable with machine-aided operations of life. Think about it like this. We're kind of all cyborgs because – Hey, name that you you know that movie with that actor that I thought of. I've outsourced that information to my phone. I already have a digital record that I can use. Oh, let me remember when did I meet that guy last? I have a calendar. In the olden days we didn't have that machine interface that enhanced our capabilities as people. We're already comfortable with that. Why can't we see that as part of our working life? And I think you're totally right. The industrial revolution, you know, the, the mechanization of production was a scary time. We're in 
you know, leaps and bounds later, now it's on the desktop and now it's making you as a, as an employee, as a part of the production line of digital work, a cyborg as well. And isn't that, isn't that even better? Isn't that, isn't that more capability for your organization, more capability for you as a human being? So I think that's cool. I think either way, just as a, as a side note, you know, when on our day to day, when we use social media, whatever you go through website, you, you already give for free so much data on yourself. And, and suddenly, you know, when it comes to your business, you care about this. So uh, I think we try to work very hard to make sure that everything is, is very transparent. But if we look today on, on the way people treat their, their privacy outside of work, it's uh, it may be controversial to say, but it's a bit of a double standard when you come to <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Ziv. This is a, a sad state of affairs, you know, trying to teach your kids about privacy and why privacy might be interesting for you is, is a parental challenge. I I definitely get this. Um, but, but speaking of this, going on forward, thinking about the algorithms that we see in our social media life, but um, maybe that's a Ziff question more. Um, how does things like AI or machine learning support all the activities that you do, either the discovery or the automation part? I think it's it's one of the biggest enablers today. If we talk about performance, if you talk about accuracy, we couldn't do it without uh, AI and ML. Um, and the idea is to, okay, we, we collect all this information. But if you think about yourself, how you are executing the processes in your day-to-day, there's so much noise, there's so much multitasking that you do. You know, someone uh, pings you in, in Teams or in WhatsApp or Slack and you forgot the steps or so you start the process again. And imagine this in a team scenario with all these different applications. And before AI ML, you probably had statistical uh, regression, statistical uh, statistics way to, to clean the data and to make it more coherent. But without all these neural networks, without all this um, advanced clustering uh, technology, you can do it um, in real time. So the idea is that uh, if, if now I record you in an hour, you're, the business analyst can actually understand that this process was repeated again. And uh, so the information is much more valuable if you get it almost in real time. Um, you get it in scale, so you can record a lot more users, not just a small team. You can capture in the future your entire organization. You don't want it to be very local. You <laughs> want it to open it to everyone in the organization. So like process mining, you get access to a lot more data. Um, and eventually this is something will keep on improving and improving. And I think AI and ML are the only way to do it. And that makes sense. But maybe a follow-up question for you. Uh, where do you see uh, that whole thing, RPD, RPA, then evolve? You know, where do, where do you see the technological aspect of it? And, and Kevin, I will ask you about the business aspect of this afterwards. But where do you see the technology go from here? Because I think we've seen a lot of change in social media and our behavior and all these stuff over the last 10 years. We will see, and I agree with you, we'll see the same shift in the business world. But what is next? What do you see in, say, 5 or 10? We scratched maybe 10% of the potential for task mining. Whoa. Imagine like process mining is 30 years already. Mm-hmm. 30 years already, and you already in, in you. You see the, the difference or the, the jump it makes in the last 30 years. Imagine task mining is, is three years old. So we only scratched 10%. We'll see, uh, I, you know, I believe in even, even in two, three years, a lot more adoption, mm-hmm. a lot more impact, um, almost making the execution part of it just redundant. Once you understand the process and you make, you, you know, you make it more optimized in real time, then you don't yeah. care what happens with it after. Yeah. 
Do, do you see a change or, or an evolution in the technology? Of course. Or do you think it will be, will be the same as we have it today? Of course. So uh, if we talk about scale, today we can't support these millions of, of uh, people or hundreds of thousands of employees being recorded. We talk about huge data. We talk about mm -hmm. you know velocity that is, is beyond our imagination. And that the, the pace we get from last year, we could only record... 10 users today we can record uh, almost 1000 users and you know it's, mm -hmm. it's a matter of years so i think all of this will come into effect in the product or in, in other products and will make this technology much more uh, relevant for for enterprises and smbs alike mm -hmm. yeah i agree that there will be a lot of things going on in the back of you know the big data centers that will be needed and all that technology behind it yeah i agree but but kevin maybe to ask you the same question you know looking forward from a business perspective where do you see things evolve in regards to discovery and automation i think discovery is the the hot topic or, or process excellence is a broad umbrella mm -hmm. which includes process mining a lot of the companies we're talking to invested in rpa you know they got some benefits but now they're going okay let's step back we really need to understand what are we doing in our how do our processes operate um, I mean, if we make a change here, you know, what's the real benefit we were getting out of these changes? So, uh, and the other thing today, the, the RPA deployments are really islands of automation, mm -hmm. which was the same thing that happened in the manufacturing sector until, MR, until MRP and ERP solutions come, came along. So at some point I see the future going, that's really going to promote you know, this robotic process automation field is when uh, it's integrated more tightly with process mining, with task mining, and, and, there, and it's a full cycle feedback loop. Uh, that's where the future's going. And it's, like Zeke wow. said, I think it's just a couple of few years away. Well, that's amazing. Well, we're going to cap off this section, friends. This was a fantastic discussion and ask to our audience a couple of questions. So think about your experiences. Have you had experience with RPD and RPA? And what were they? Were they good or bad? And how do they fit into the common questions that we spoke about a few minutes ago? Did you have those? How were they resolved with your vendor or with your team? And if you didn't have a project, if you haven't had a chance to play with RPA or RPD yet, what are your expectations on the information you want to find? What are the benefits you are hoping to achieve? We'll leave you for a moment and come back with our conclusion to the show and a farewell to our guests. Welcome back. So I have just one more question for, for both of you. And maybe Ziff, we start with you. Well, how do I get started with, with all that stuff? How do I get started with RPD and RPA? So first, of course, you can uh, talk with us and then we'll demonstrate everything you want to see. But I think in, in more essence is, <laughs> is to understand what you're trying to solve here. What's your problem? And then you can say, okay, do I need process discovery for it? Is this a problem addressed by process mining? I think there's a lot of confusion in the market caused by 
probably different vendors or by the industry or by different analysts uh, talking or using the same terminology for different uh, technologies, different solutions. So I, I, I think in a way, first you zoom in on the problem, your most immediate problem that you try to solve, and then you can understand together with us whether it's something that you can use RPA or, or RPD uh, to, to bring a solution uh, into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kevin, your perspective on this? Any additions? No, that's spot on. I mean, I'll I'll step back. You know, before I joined Crown, I have three. A few of my friends are CIOs at large organizations. One's at the World Bank, one's at National Academy of Sciences, and one's at another utility company. And all of them had invested in RPA solutions. Mm -hmm. Two of them had one bot deployed, and the other one had eight. And they basically all said, you know, we're struggling with identifying automation candidates. We're struggling with educating our our organization on how do we use these products. Mm -hmm. So how do you get started? I mean, to me, you really need to understand your organization first and the processes. So that's where it starts with process discovery. And figuring out what's your baseline. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely Absolutely. Done. Very apropos. <laughs> so maybe to bring it to a closure, gentlemen, Thank you very much, not only because this was the first new format or the first episode of a new format that we have, our little mini panel here with more than one guest. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for your time and the coordination that went into this to have a, a cross-continental interview here. Um, but I think that the urgent question that we have and our listeners hopefully have now after they listen to the show is, well, um, how do we... Uh, can reach out to you and maybe Ziv, maybe we start with you because you're the farthest away from us in Paris. <laughs> How can people reach you? Yeah. So obviously LinkedIn, Zivilan, uh, it's Z-I-V-I-L-A-N or at nintex.com. Uh, Perfect. Uh, and, and I will put links in there. So Kevin, if you have a very long URL or email or whatever, no worries. <laughs> How can we reach you, Kevin? <laughs> yeah. LinkedIn is great. I do check LinkedIn, LinkedIn regularly. So uh, please leave me a note and I will respond right away. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, speaking about reaching out, <laughs> hello, friends. And this is a huge thank you, not only to our guests, but also to our listeners. Thank you for having a wonderful time and conversation along with us and Kevin and Ziv. And you can reach out to us through our website, whatsyourbaseline.com or email hell at, what, at whatsyourbaseline.com. Remember to like, share, subscribe, do all those social things with the What's Your Baseline podcast and leave us feedback to let us know how we can get even better as we go into our third season upcoming. Wow, it's been exciting. But <laughs> you can find all the show notes for this one at whatsyourbaseline.com slash episode 24, including a transcript and all those good links that Roland has promised. But for the last time in this episode, my name is J.M. Erlinson. I'm Kevin Scully. I'm Zivilan. I'm Roland Volt. And we will see you in the next one. <laughs>